morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Now, I know that by the time this episode airs, we are past the dark anniversary, but I wanted to briefly address January 6th, you know, the day democracy almost died. Was January 6th an insurrection? Well, by definition, an act or an instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government yeah, I, I guess it kind of was an insurrection. Of course, I could make the case that if the riots that went on through 2019 to 2020 were mostly peaceful, that this in relation would be just a lazy Sunday picnic, but I would never do that. But is this the definition that's being used and implied by the corporate media and agenda-driven leftists in the government? No. Their definition is something along these lines, quote, Trump commanded his brainwashed undead army horde of extreme Bible and gun-loving right-wing Nazis to firebomb and destroy the Capitol and kill all of the unwitting Democrats who just want to help people, end quote. So is that what happened? No, no, it didn't. A few things to ask yourself. One, did Trump actually order or command people to take the Capitol? No, no, he didn't. His words may have stirred up emotion and passion, but he never gave a direct or an indirect order to do this. And number two, could Trump have stopped this insurrection by getting on TV and telling people to stop? Uh, No. For one, those on the right generally don't take our marching orders from dear leader. The left definitely does, but the right has a lot of people who think for themselves. And, And for another reason, it happened so fast, relatively speaking, I really highly doubt anybody was sitting there watching Fox News on their phone app waiting to see if Trump approved, and then to turn around and say, hey guys, real president says we should stop, let's pack up, go home. Number three, did anyone die? Yeah, one person actually did die, Ashley Babbitt, and you can find a link for an article about her in the notes. She was an unarmed woman in a fairly vulnerable, non-threatening position of climbing through a window. She was shot without warning by, in my opinion, a spineless, overreacting Capitol policeman who should turn in his badge as he's not fit for the uniform. Now, she was there. She made her choice. Unfortunately, she paid the ultimate price. She was the only one who died. The cop that they had lay in state as a casualty of the demonstration did not die from the insurrection. He died days later from a stroke or something like that. Was it related? Uh, There's some that claim it was. I think that's a hard case to make. Don't know. Number four, did democracy almost die? Well, first, we're not a democracy. We need to understand that. But moving past there, no, there was never a threat of a takeover. Does anyone really believe that a small group of ragtag tourists carrying signs and dressed funny who did heinous things like sit in chairs and take the podium 
while taking selfies and saying, excuse me, when accidentally bumping into someone would overthrow the government. And let's keep in mind, no guns, which, let's be honest, are really the only weapons that matter at this point for something like a democracy-destroying, government-taking-over insurrection. You'd almost think that if this was a coordinated effort to overthrow the government, someone would have put out a memo to the largest standing collective militia in the world to, don't forget your pistol. I mean, what an oversight. Five, should the rioters be prosecuted? Well, yeah, I do believe in the rule of law. I don't think they should be felonies. I don't think they should be locked up in isolation or solitary. And I don't think they should be locked up for months on end with no charges, no trial. And they shouldn't be handed sentences that not even the most brutal child rapists get. But they should face some penalty if they did something wrong. If they were walking the halls, I don't see that as a crime. Maybe it's just me. Now look, you can disagree with me if you'd like. It's okay. The leftist shill media, as predicted, spent the entire day lamenting and snotting all over themselves all day, and honestly, they're going to continue to do so all year while heading to a devastating election loss in November. And they're going to try and spin that Trump tried to kill everyone and burn the country down and sacrifice Pelosi. This is all they have. And of course, AOC, we all love AOC, will continue to be out lamenting her own passing after the brutal rape and torture she endured while she was nowhere near any of the action at all because she's kind of a clown. But the reality is, this was essentially a somewhat rowdy demonstration, and that's all. To make more of it is nothing but playing politics and being overly dramatic. I don't want to analyze and comment on a lot of COVID-related articles, not because they're divisive, as I'm really not worried about that, but because I think we're all just fatigued by the constant influx of news, warnings, fear porn, depending on your view, but I can't promise no reviews, as some of the most illogical stories available have been written about COVID. Case in point, I came across an article on CNN Travel, again, the link will be in the notes, entitled, In Zero COVID Hong Kong, This is What Happens When You Test Positive. Now, right away, you have to see the contradiction of zero COVID and COVID positive, but in their defense, they did put quotes around zero COVID. This write-up follows a young man named Daryl Chan, who is flying from London to Hong Kong to start a new job. The article states that Chan is fully vaccinated and boosted. Just FYI, I put the word vaccine in quotes for future reference. Uh, he also had several COVID tests prior to his flight and tested negative on all of them. He had no symptoms of being ill, but per Hong Kong's procedures, he was required to take another test upon arrival. Long story short, he tested positive for the Omicron variant. From this lead-in, CNN moves into what happens when you test positive in Hong Kong, meaning for everyone, not just for travelers. And this is where the illogicalities ramp to an extreme level. For those that test positive, they're sent immediately to a hospital, no matter what. Do not pass go, do not collect $200, or about $4,000 if you adjust for inflation. For those that are considered close contacts, they get to go camping Yep, I'm assuming it's a sweet, sweet government camp for 21 days of fun and relaxation and excitement, despite symptoms or test results. 
Of course, they have regular testing, and any positive test sends that poor soul to the hospital where he, and yes, I'm going to use the old-fashioned grammar rule of using he for a generic person as I refuse to use they for a single individual, follows the strictly designed and dictated protocol to be revealed momentarily and likely to think about the shame he has brought upon himself and his family. So are you starting to build the flow chart of, of where you are now? But close contact isn't the only criteria that'll land you in COVID Sheol. Nope, anyone who was potentially in the area of the filthy plague carriers are ordered to test with certain buildings locked down for mass testing if needed. I'm starting to think that our governments are simply run by people who really just like shoving things into us. Now, nowhere in this article does it say your vaccination status matters for the close contacts or for the not-so-close contacts. Back to the hospital quarantine individuals, symptomatic or not, the hospital stay is at least 10 days, requiring two negative tests in a row in order to run the next phase of the gauntlet to freedom. When by God's grace you finally meet the negative test criteria, you then get to move to an isolation facility. Now, doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? And you get to do that for another 14 days. Remember, you're negative. So clearly you need to isolate for two more weeks, you know, for science and, and for reasons. At this facility, they allow you to stay in your room 24 hours a day with no fresh air, no exercise, no nothing. I guess if you're a fan of couch potatory, this may not be that bad. Just saying. Assuming all goes well, it appears that you can then resume your normal life. Great. That is if you're not experiencing symptoms of PTSD from what you just went through for being sick or not being sick. CNN then goes on to lament the fact that although anyone over the age of three can get the jabs in Hong Kong, only fewer then 70% of the population has taken two full doses. So I go to look on the COVID-19 dashboard by Johns Hopkins, and of course Hong Kong isn't listed as its own country, it's part of China. Whatever. And of course data is not broken out per province or city or whatever, so China shows that they've had, as a total, 115,703 cases, 4,849 deaths for the entire country for the entire pandemic. Does anyone actually believe this? Now, looking at epidemicstats.com for Hong Kong-specific info, it confirms what was in the CNN article. 12,799 infections, 213 deaths for the pandemic for a country of about 7.5 million people. Now, this is a very small number. Maybe those numbers are true. Let's take it for granted that they are true. This means that their measures work right? Well, yeah, it kind of does, but at what cost and for how long? What's the end game? So locking down primary and potential secondary contacts and institutionalizing those that test positive will absolutely slow the spread to a crawl. In fact, isolation with total disregard to everything else is really the only way to slow, not stop, slow, the spread. Additionally, Hong Kong has some advantages that other countries like the U.S. doesn't. It's basically a peninsula surrounded on three sides by water with only a small border with China, about 12 miles or so, with most of that being river. And that's 
the only land-based route of entry. That's a fairly simple border to control if you so desire to do it. Uh, although I'm pretty sure I know a specific group of people that would screw that up. CNN goes on to recognize that some experts say that this kind of isolationism, which has no signs of ending, may have effects on mental health, to which I say, nah. But, they say, you can do things to help, like strictly scheduling your day in your room, getting some exercise in your room, and basking in the aura of your own self-importance for sacrificing for the greater good. Forget about the fact that you had no choice. Those things will surely help you not lose your mind. So let's look at this logically. This is a virus, a virus that's essentially the same generic kind as one of the causes of the common cold. Endemics and pandemics like the cold, which is now just a cold, or the Spanish flu, can I say flu, which is now just the flu, cannot be eradicated, thus the existence of the flu and the common cold. These can't be avoided forever. The Native Americans, or Indians, depending on your level of wokeness, were isolated from the rest of the world, and the rest of the world was isolated from them for millennia. When the two groups met, illness and death occurred on both sides because of the introduction of new viruses and diseases, but the effect on the Native population is most often talked about as they were hit the hardest. This was likely due to both the severity of the diseases and lack of immunity to many diseases, but the Europeans clearly would have had some immunity to many of the diseases already in order to be carriers. So here's the thing. Hong Kong is setting up this same type of scenario. They're trying to isolate themselves by isolating uh, their country. And, and by doing this, it's like using too much hand sanitizer. It works perfectly until something gets in that your system isn't prepared for. Of course, right now they're working under the assumption that's being proven more and more false on a daily basis, that the vaccine, remember the quotes, will save them and will create the herd immunity that will eradicate the illness. But we're seeing more and more breakthrough cases, although I believe they're changing that language as well, of fully vaxxed and boosted individuals. Further, the data is already available that Omicron, or <clears throat> Omnicorn, if you're Fauci, seems to have a fairly easy go at breaking through the vax and natural immunity alike. Lastly, the mRNA gene therapy was never designed to address COVID. It was designed to address the alpha variant of COVID, the original, the one that's essentially extinct now. No thanks to the vax, that's just natural viral progression and mutation. So this begs the question, how long can you hide from a virus? The simple answer is, not forever. If we could literally eradicate the virus through lockdowns and vaccines, why haven't we done it for the cousin coronavirus or the rhinovirus or put more simply the common cold? According to one stat I found, there are approximately 4,500 deaths per year in the U.S. due to the common cold. Shouldn't we protect them? Or is that just an acceptable number? Well, from a statistical standpoint, that's an acceptable number. According to the CDC, adults get an average of two to three colds per year, children even more. If we estimate very, very low, say one billion colds per year in the United States, this equates to essentially a 0% death rate. 
As of right now, the death rate of COVID stands at about 1.5%, but with the introduction of Omicron, if it follows the current course, that rate should drop fairly sharply. And this doesn't factor in the questionable use of from COVID as opposed to with COVID. And it doesn't factor in comorbidities, which on average equates to four comorbidities per fatality. When playing this experiment out to the end, to the point of absurdity, which if you want to know if you're on the right track, play things out in your mind to the extreme limit. If this trend by Hong Kong were to continue, they will cease to be not because China takes them over or Google stops acknowledging them because their Chinese overlords command them to, but because they can't survive as a society going down this path. You can only stop society, stop both national and international travel, lock down people, close up businesses and so on for so long before you collapse as a country and society. You can only create a sterile environment so long before something gets in and wipes out a massive percentage of the now immunodeficient population. At some point, we all need to come to grips with the fact that the viruses exist. We can't eradicate them. People will get sick. People will die. We can't keep masking and testing everyone. The ocean can only hold so many discarded masks and used test kits. We can't keep isolating everyone. Humans were not designed for that. We can't keep counting numbers just to drive the panic. We must get back to life. We must treat illness as illness and learn to live again. This lesson, like it or not, will be learned. And it's up to us if we learn it the hard way or the easier way. So being the first episode and with the rapport I've built with you, my listeners, over all of this time... I wanted to drive right into the deep end and address the passing of Betty White, albeit just briefly. I'll likely not cover this event in the same manner you've seen it covered most other places, but that's kind of what I do here, try to give you a different perspective. I found an article on the satirical website The Beaverton entitled God Announces Long-Awaited Golden Girls Reunion Special. The link will be in the notes. It features some, I'm assuming, made-up quotes from God himself saying he's been wanting to make this reunion for some time, etc., etc., etc. It then goes on to say that the special will feature a reunion of Betty White with B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty, as well as some other deceased guest stars. You can read the article from there if you're curious, but that's the gist. I mean, it was a cute article. The problem is, to most people, this really isn't satire. In the days following her passing, the number of memes and posts lamenting the nearly 100-year-old's passing and ushering her into heaven as a saint was simply unbelievable. People of every religious or non-religious stripe seem to agree on the conclusion that whatever the afterlife is, Betty White is in the heaven portion. So as I do, I had to look it up. What did Betty White believe? From what I could find on beliefnet.com, she attended, or at least practiced her faith, at the Unity Church, which, as they described, celebrates positive, practical Christianity. You should immediately see a red flag in that phrasing. It just doesn't sound right. So I looked it up. The Unity Church. I found a Wikipedia article, 
And yes, I, I know you're supposed to be careful with Wikipedia. I did also verify this on their own website. Both links will be in the notes. And what it says is that this church views God as a spiritual energy that's present everywhere. Okay, well, we know that God is spirit, but spiritual energy, that's not quite the same thing. But, but let's continue on. Maybe we're okay here. They say that Jesus was the Son of God, and that's good, that came to demonstrate divinity and teach humankind. That's possibly not so good. He came to teach, but he ultimately came to live the perfect life we can't and, and die the death we deserve and be resurrected in order to secure forgiveness and righteousness for those that are saved. So, strike two, I would say. And then they say that humanity is essentially divine, <laughs> so inherently good. Oh, uh, okay, there's where we got to stop. That's completely contradictory to what we're told in the Bible. The Bible clearly tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. We are, per the definition in the Bible, inherently sinful. We are wretched. We are lost. We are in enmity with God. We are not inherently good. We are inherently bad. That's a huge swing and a miss. Now, the article goes on to speak of their view on the Bible, which is not good, and prayer, which is also not really good. And curiously absent is any mention of salvation, repentance, hell, anything like that. But why do we need those things if we're just inherently good? Now, like I said, you can look it up on their site, unity.org. You can find it on Wikipedia. You can find your own resources if you want. You'll find the information. So what does this mean? Well, in short, and please hear me clearly here, I am not the ultimate judge of anyone's soul. I can only know the state of my own soul. I freely admit that. Well, when we look at the belief structure and the fruit of Betty White's life, I don't think we have any solid footing to say that Betty White is currently holding a reunion special in heaven right now. Without looking up others in the cast, I'd say that at least for some, if not all of them, we could probably reach the same conclusion, sadly. So why do I bring this up? Well, for one simple reason. Although as Christians, we should be gentle and caring to the family of a deceased individual, and I'm talking in general terms here at this point. I'm not advocating for proclaiming at the gravesite that the person who passed is in hell at this very minute. I think Christians need to exercise some logical discernment in how we post and proclaim and discuss and comfort when it comes to the loss that's recently occurred. I believe that in a funeral, I believe the message should contain repentance of sin, turning to Jesus, believing in all of who he claims to be, as written in the pages of the Bible, and ultimately receiving the free gift of mercy and salvation. This should be done whether the, the person who passed was saved or not, because the people at the funeral, I guarantee, are a mix of both. They need to hear this message. Now, in the days to come after the passing, we should be ready to give a gentle but factual answer to those who have questions about their loved ones and their own soul. We should have the intent to help them move toward Jesus, 
with the understanding, again, that this is ultimately an act of the Holy Spirit. I am not going to save anyone, but I can definitely give them the message. As for social media, when we look at a celebrity passing, someone with celebrity status, we need to be careful how we post. I agree. Turning back to Betty White, she seemed like she was sweet. She was a cute old lady, let's be honest. And she was funny. I, I've laughed at many of her routines and, and characters. But are we doing any good as Christians by declaring that a woman who didn't act like a Christian just waltzed into heaven to fanfare, cheering, and, and worship by all in residence, including the Almighty God himself? What does that do to the Christian message? What does it do to the Christian plea? How can we legitimately call others to repent and believe if a day earlier we've made it clear that all dogs go to heaven, so to speak? I hope that Betty White was saved. I, I really do. I truly do. I hope they all were saved. I also live in the land of reality. And reality says that most people are not and will not be saved. They have no interest in anything to do with that kind of a commitment, steps on their toes. I would have to say that evidence suggests Betty White was not saved. So this presents us an opportunity as Christians to discuss with others the briefness of even a nearly 100-year-old life and the realities of a potential afterlife. It gives us the ability to discuss a good life versus a saved life. We don't want to miss these opportunities. As these opportunities arise, we don't want to just slide the celebrity into heaven for the sake of ease, for a, a meme. This may be the perfect chance to become the vessel that the Holy Spirit uses to open the eyes of an unbeliever. We don't want to lose that opportunity through something as simple as a retweet. Moving on, and my apologies, but another COVID-related article that we just must look into here. I think we can agree that whatever the fourth estate, or more commonly known as the press, was, it doesn't appear to be that anymore. The press, the news, they used to research, investigate, and report the findings, regardless of who the findings may or may not attack. These days, I don't think it's any shock to say that the news outlets, left and right, are very agenda-driven. So when stories come through and are widely distributed by various outlets, it would behoove us to ask, what's really going on here? An article on CNN and many other national and regional sites entitled, What is Florona? And how serious is it? Florona. How scary does that sound? If you were terrified to leave your house with the COVIDs, you'd be positively paralyzed in fear by the Florona. Now, maybe I shouldn't do this. I'm going to reveal what would really scare me stomach fluvid or fluorona or something like that. Listen, foodstuffs exiting the entry door, that's simply the worst. That doesn't need to exist, and it definitely does not need to be combined with anything else. I digress. Last year, 2020, the flu practically disappeared. The speculation, and, and I've never seen confirmation, was that COVID blocked the flu. Okay, maybe that's possible. I don't know. There was also a conspiracy theory that the flu was being counted as COVID for profit purposes, maybe. But again, that's just conspiracy. 
there was also a theory that was pushed that lockdowns and masking slowed the flu last year. Well, lockdowns, sure. We've discussed that concept in a previous article. As for masking, no. Maybe I'll cover this at some point, but masks and the fitment of masks in the general public simply aren't capable, aren't designed to stop an airborne virus. Now, back to the article. This is a somewhat tortured article. It's difficult to follow if you actually read it. Now, if you scan it or if you stop at the headline, you kind of get the feeling that you know all that you need to know. But to me, there's more here. So the basis of this article is that there's a 30-something-year-old pregnant woman in Israel that was diagnosed with both flu and COVID, as both of these viruses are, are ramping up in Israel right now. She is stated as being the first known case of this double infection. They make a clear point of ensuring that we know she's not vaccinated. Ugh. They don't tell us against what, I'm assuming, both the flu and the COVID. Then, although it's not overly clear, I believe what they're saying is that they're starting to see more prevalence of pregnant women coming in with flu or COVID right now, but this woman is the first double dipper, and she's recovering just fine. Now, the director of the School of Public Health at Ben Gurion University states that he doesn't expect to see a lot of this, but it's a possible combination. And of course, per the rules, he stated that those with no underlying conditions and vaxxed against flu and COVID probably don't have to worry. I think it's probably more of the former rather than the later. Again, I keep digressing. Now, regardless of the statement about this probably not being overly common, let's bring in the American doctor, Dr. Adrian Burroughs from the University of Central Florida. A quick scan of his Twitter page, and I'm not going to link that, shows that he's apparently firmly planted in the vaccine, mask, jab the kids, etc. camp. So, fear porn alert. I need to get a sounder for that. He says, and I quote the article first, that this double infection could be, and now quoting him, catastrophic to your immune system. And he goes on to say, I do believe you're going to see co-infection with flu and coronavirus, and I do believe you're going to see a higher rate of mortality as a result of that. And then the article goes on to lament the overburdened healthcare system and the effect that the winter months have on that system, etc. So let's look at this logically, shall we? The woman in Israel has double infection, recovering fine. The expert in Israel says that he doesn't expect that this will be a common occurrence. The doctor in Florida says we'll definitely see co-infections, it'll be catastrophic to your immune system, and people will die at a higher rate. Now, isn't it curious that the man who has been interviewed on Univision, Yahoo Finance, the clearly left-leaning Black News Channel, as well as contributed to CNN, would come out and say that we're all going to die? And don't miss that he has absolutely no data, no facts, no evidence. He believes, and it could be. He's literally saying nothing but his fear or politics-based opinion. Bottom line, Doc, I literally don't care about what you believe. I care about the facts, truth, true truth, not your truth. As for co-infection, well, I've had similar questions, especially early on in the pandemic, mainly trying to help my parents who both had COVID, specifically my dad, who has been dealing with some somewhat minor but lingering long-haul type symptoms, with questions of, can we be infected by two strains of COVID at once? But in this case, knowing that a coronavirus is the same 
type of thing is the common cold, I looked up to see if we can get a double infection of the cold and the flu. Turns out from an article on health.com from February 2019, pre-pandemic, where Dr. Schaffner says that due to the mechanisms by the flu virus and the cold virus, you know, like coronaviruses, rhinoviruses, or respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, it is definitely possible to get both at the same time, although one would generally kind of mask the other out, and, and you'd likely feel like you just had a really nasty flu. But, and you're going to want to sit down and brace yourself for this, the good news is that the body can fight two infections at once. It may kind of wipe you out, but it's fully capable of attacking more than one type of virus at a time. What a miracle of evolution, am I right? So why the fear porn? Well, this may be a little bit of a stretch, but I think that we know that for the last year or so, the media and the pharmaceutical companies are definitely canoodling each other. Moderna is working on yet, and get this, another drug, another vax, one that combines flu and COVID in one chemical injection. And they're thinking that maybe they can throw in some RSV magic juice and other respiratory diseases as well, and we can just have this pumped into us once a year. So why haven't they come out with an RSV vax before? If they've got the technology, why wouldn't they just do it? Why is it that it seems like we never get the correct flu strains in the annual shot, evident this year by pharma admitting they totally missed it? Now, at the time of the news of a combo shot was released in September of 2021, Moderna shares were up six and a quarter percent on that day. As of the time of this episode, they're up about 350% from mid-2020. And that should tell you something, I think. Watch out for key words in these articles, like I believe and could or maybe. A lot of experts aren't really experts at all. They're just good at saying words. But generally, they won't incriminate themselves by giving you definites. They'll always leave themselves a way out, just in case. And look to the other hand. Look for what else might be happening. Take what you've learned previously to inform you as to what might be happening next. Don't let things like the title of doctor or expert throw you. These guys are humans too. They have biases. You want to vet everything. Double check anything that doesn't sound quite right. Remember, it's not conspiratorial to be skeptical. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. Thank you.